Thanks everybody for listening. Before we start today's podcast, let me tell you about Peterson Toyota, a great new sponsor over the last few months. They've been serving customers in the Fort Collins and surrounding areas for 52 years. They've mastered what knowing people want from a car dealership and have built their business around it. Peterson is Northern Colorado's largest automotive dealership, and yet they care for each and every customer for the lifetime of their vehicle needs. You can expect high-quality vehicles at the right price. If you are in the market for a new or used vehicle, make Peterson Toyota your first choice. Welcome to Ram Nation Radio. I'm Joel Cantalamessa, joined by my usual co-host, Michael Rowe. Today we're talking CSU men's hoops, coming off a disappointing 83-64 loss and a much-anticipated matchup with Utah State. We'll talk a little bit about that. They'll face the Aggies again on Thursday, uh, get another crack at them. They're going to need some, some drastic improvement if they got a chance to stay in that game. It just didn't look good. Utah State looked very good. So we'll talk that and a few other topics here in the first segment. In our second segment, we're going to have Javen Hedlund, who's the Associate Commissioner of External Communication Strategy at the Mountain West Conference. He spent upwards of 20 years with the conference office. Uh, he graduated from CSU around the same time uh, I did uh, with a degree in uh, speech communications. He worked under Gary Azello as a student, ultimately joined the Mountain West and was formed in 1999. So we'll ask him about a bunch of the issues facing the Mountain West, uh, membership, realignment, uh, what's up with uh, the conference basketball tournament this year, and, and a lot more. So really looking forward to that. Javen's a great guy. Uh, looking forward to his insights. So, Mike, uh, thanks for being here. Welcome. And just wanted to, uh, I guess, start off talking about, I guess we could call it a debacle last night. I mean, it was a, it, there was some anticipation Looking at Utah State was undefeated in conference, certainly the, currently the favorite to win the conference, them and Boise State. Utah State swept San Diego State at home last week, so you know how good they were. Uh, they lost Sam, Mer Sam Merrill this year, but they still have Kata. Uh, they, they still have Brock Miller lighting up from outside. Uh, they still have a lot of very good pieces in that program, uh, and they have a very good coach in Craig Smith, who was once a coach uh, with Nico and Tim Miles at CSU, and uh, right now they're getting the better of CSU. The, uh, Craig Smith is now 5-0 against Nico. So Nico's got, uh, he's got his work cut out because um, that, that program's a little, more, uh, a little bit further down the road. It's got a lot more uh, pieces in place to continue to compete for conference championships, and CSU's uh, basically last night showed how far CSU still has to go. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's a tough game, but – you know, if we're being honest with, with ourselves, you know, you kind of not expect it, but it, it shouldn't be shocking that this happened. You got a, you got a team with four juniors um, that have played together for a long time. You got a team that with those four juniors leading them coming off of winning the Mountain West tournament would have been a tournament team last year. Uh, even with the, the loss of Merrill, I mean, they have they have upperclassmen, uh, upperclassmen leaders that have had success. You know, Queda. I mean, he, he's he's a lottery pick, in my opinion. He, he's a footer. He can move. Uh, he's good on the defensive end. He's strong. You know, you can see you can see the the experience. You know, our our younger guys. You know, they're sophomores. Again, we got as many two sophomores, a freshman starting, and it showed. 
we're, we're coming off a short uh, short weekend on a, on a road trip to Phoenix, <laughs> played San Jose State in the rec center, and then in, uh, coming home, then turning around and leaving the next day to go to, uh, to, to Logan and playing for the first time with fans, you know, opposing fans on us. So it's, it's, it, to me, it wasn't shocking. We'll see how they react tomorrow. You know, I think, I don't think any of us were disillusioned to think that we are, uh, that the Rams were going to go and, and sweep this series. I mean, I think a good goal would have been to split uh, and certain, just, you know, show, show some improvement that, that we are on par with this program that or at least can, can hang. And I think that was the biggest disappointment. You could tell there was across the board, a, a lot of disappointment on the Ramination message boards last night on social media. They're just, I think for me, that the disappointment was there were just were very few positives to take away from the game. And, you know, we all point to the fact that CSU didn't, shoot well and missed a lot of shots. Some of that was due to good defense. I mean, Utah State's defense was suffocating, but there was also a lot of wide open looks. CSU shot just 40% uh, from the field, 33% from three. Um, but it, another problem was we got absolutely destroyed on the boards, 44 boards to 25 and uh, 13 offensive rebounds to our four. And that was kind of going into that game. You, you knew that that was going to be a problem. We just very undersized against Utah State. And then just didn't take care of the ball like you need to. Um, again, like we saw in the San Diego, San Diego State series, they play also a very uh, tenacious style of defense. Uh, but same thing last night. I just didn't take care of the ball. 15 turnovers. Uh, but all those things aside, Nico Medved specifically pointed after the game to uh, his biggest disappointment was the defense. And granted, it's tough when you've got a guy like uh, Mimi Escada, who has, you know, 18 points, he, he dominates inside. We don't have anybody who has the size to stop him inside. Uh, but you're going to have to decide, are you going to take that away or are you going to take away the, the perimeter? Um, and they didn't do either. I mean, he had his way inside, and then Utah State made everything from, from outside as well. And then, worst of all, you know, their guards pretty much drove at will, drove the lane, got to the basket, got fouled, whatever. Um, so the Rams didn't really do anything particularly well on defense. And he had Brock Miller, just everything he threw up went in. He was 6 of 10 from 3. Uh, the team was a whole shot, 53% from 3. You're just not going to beat Utah State when they're they're scoring inside and out and shooting that well. So, and, you know, the Rams are already undersized against Utah State, and they, they went small by design for, for periods of the game. And if you do that, you better uh, – that that lineup that you've got in there to, to score, they better score in <laughs> – and they just didn't. They didn't have it. So, um, you know, Rams were 9 of 27 from three. Uh, a third of those points, which came from from our two foot eleven guys. And you had those guys chipping in for three three-pointers. Um, Deshaun Thomas had two. James Morris had one. So, it was just an odd game. It was disappointing to, that there was not really a competition there. So, you know, in game two, you look at what, what, what needs to happen to compete. Uh, for me, uh, I'd like to get your thoughts, but for me, obviously you need more from your stars. Isaiah Stevens ended up with 16 points, which is, you know, kind of where he would average, but a lot of those came late. Game was already decided, right? He, he started hitting some shots late in the game. Most of those were in the second half. Um, he struggled to kick, take care of the ball early. Uh, and then Roddy, I mean, these, these are the two guys that were the, the battled for freshman of the year honors last year. Uh, he had 
for most of the game, had no baskets from the field. He scored two late, later in the game when the game was already out of hand. Uh, so those two guys obviously need to be a bigger factor. Uh, Roddy was taking out of his game, just wasn't physical enough. Um, you know, and, and then you've got uh, Tanjay, who's your guy off the bench, who comes in and usually gives you a spark. He was 0 for 5 from the field. Kendall Morden, you know, he, he scored a few points, but he had a bunch of turnovers as well. I think he and Stevens combined for six. So mostly, I mean, they got to take care of the ball. They got to be tougher inside, regardless of being outside. You got to go strong to the hoop. Uh, and you got to defend with a purpose, man. Um, and you got to make shots, but uh, you got to take the ball to the hoop and, and try to get Kata into some foul trouble. I think. Uh, exactly right. You need you need your guards penetrating and and trying to get him to to either come over and go for the block and then dish underneath to to Tajay, uh, Roddy, to Moore's, to um, to uh, Thomas, or. <laughs> you got to get it to, to Roddy and, and have him go up strong and, and try to go one-on-one -on -one against him. You look at Tanjay and, and, and Roddy, they took 11 shots combined yesterday. You can't have that. They, they, they need to shoot more. And, and this is the second great game, uh, second straight game that Tanjay um, went over from the field. He, so, so you really need that. You, you need that uh, spark off the bench coming from him. Um, you know, what he gave, what he provided in that San Diego State series. Uh, you need that. that I mean, that's a, a huge part of your team, and, and it wasn't there yesterday. Um, again, Roddy, there's no way Roddy should only have six shots ever. Um, he, he, he's got he's to take a little bit more command on that. And, you know, when, honestly, when you have Thistlewood going, you know, four for six and, and, and throwing in 14 points, that should open up the middle. And, and that's where – having a player like uh, Quaida uh, hurts because they can play man. I mean, they don't have to – they really don't have to worry about, um, you know, getting out there on, on somebody coming from the outside. Um, they don't have to have that big trying to, to go and disrupt from from uh, the three-point shooting. Uh, and then that leaves them a chance to just stay inside and, and, and work on a Roddy, work on a – uh, Moore's and, and, and a Thomas and, and a Tanjay. So, Mike, I, one of the biggest debates that you, we see on the board is this, uh, and, and it's a natural debate because you had Nico and Craig Smith coaching as assistants under Tim Miles. Uh, then they both left. They both took head coaching jobs elsewhere. Nico went to Furman, then Drake. Um, Craig Smith went to San, uh, South Dakota State. Both had, had did a great job, and both were kind of looked at as the top candidates for the CSU job when Larry Stacey was fired. People like to, to debate based on record and based on the two programs right now, and you look at you, you couldn't go wrong with either of them, quite honestly. Craig Smith has done an amazing job there. He, I think he's a great man, good coach. Um, you know, I was in Vegas last March for the Mountain West Tournament. I think I've told you this story, but I flew home the night of the championship game. And we ran into the Utah State team at uh, near, they were, it was just a couple gates down from us, flying back to Denver. And, um, they, you know, they were on cloud nine. All, they were celebrating with the trophy. And uh, I saw Craig and just said a quick hello to him. And I didn't think he would know me from Adam, but he absolutely remembered my name and who I was. I had very little in interaction with him at CSU, you know, at the, at back when he was a coach. So for him, it just shows the person uh, personability of him. 
totally down to earth, stopped and talked to us for 10 minutes. It was really cool. I was really pulling for them in the NCAA tournament this past uh, this past spring, but obviously that 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 they got screwed there. Um, the thing is, I, both of them would have been amazing hires, right? Uh, but I do know this: Nico specifically wanted this job. When when Tim Miles left in two thir- 2013, Nico made it known, "I want this job." You know, I, my wife and I love this town, we love this university, and we want to be here. Obviously, CSU went and hired Larry Stacy. You look at his background and his winning record compared to Nico was you, you're not going to take Nico at the time over Larry Stacey. I don't know how seriously CSU looked at Nico at the time, you know, so I think it worked out that he went to Furman and Drake and got those five years of head coaching experience. I mean, he, he got that, that what it takes to recruit, what it takes to put together a program, what it takes to rebuild a program because both of those programs were in the dumps when he took them over, you know, and then, when you see he was fired, Nico again had his eye on the job. It wasn't the best timing for him. He was only at Drake for one year. And, you know, you don't want to ever just leave a, a job high and dry. But, you know, he had made it known. He went after it. Joe Parker, to his credit, made a good, pretty easy hire there. I think there's something to be said for hiring a coach who's passionate for a school and a city and dying to be there. As I said, he and his wife, Erica, love their time in Fort Collins. They always had their eye on coming back. Um, and then you follow a coach like you, Stacy, who certainly is a winner. Uh, obviously, he knows how to coach, but he was, you know, he was very disconnected from the community. He didn't live in, in Fort Collins full time. He was aloof a little bit. Nico was the perfect antidote. And I think, uh, I don't know how much CSU gave a chance to Craig Smith as a candidate there. I think they were always locked in on Nico. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the hire. I still am. I still think Craig Smith is a fantastic coach, obviously. But he had more to work with from the get-go, you know, don't you think? At Utah State, he had more to work with, and that's why you're seeing him in that program where it is now. You just alluded to it right there. What Craig Smith walked into at Utah State was a stable program. Yeah, they were going down compared to what Stu had, had built up when they were in the Big West and then in the WAC. Duria, you know, he just probably wasn't the right hire when Stu retired. But it was it was a 500 program um, with him, but he had he had that young base, and so you know it was kind of like what we talked about with with Coach Fairchild. He had a he had the, the Merrill transferring in from BYU, and and had the, the this team that that won the Mountain West tournament last year. I mean, a lot of those kids were were those recruits, and we didn't have that when. when um, when uh, Nico took over, I mean, we kind of had a hodgepodge of, of players in that first year it, it showed and, and you saw the exodus after that first year with, with Prentice le- uh, leaving and, and Bonner and, and oh, man, there's so many, I can't even, <laughs> you know, can't even remember them, but you're really seeing right now, basically a, it's a brand new program. That's in, in year two of the change, even though this is year three for Nico. It, I mean, this is really year two of the, the, the change of the program. And we're going to have nights like last night. We just are. Again, going into the season, we were, what, the what sixth least experienced team in NCAA um, as far as, as, far as uh, our roster is concerned. And we're 10 and three, <laughs> you know, that's the thing. We are 10 and three. Yeah. Last night was bad. It looked ugly. 
I think we have the right the right coach. I think Nico is 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 building something special, and it's it's going to be something like what Tim Miles did, where you build on with with some freshmen, uh, with the high school, and then you get a and then you get a, a transfer in that kind of sets them over the top. A Wes Eichmeyer, uh, Cold Niverson, that really does set uh, set that that team to that next level. And I, and I, and I see that happening. I, I mean, I truly do. Like you said, Craig Smith inherited a 500 team under Dorea. And when he took over, uh, the difference is when he took that, that tournament, uh, that team over, that program had a basketball tradition, a winning tradition in basketball. And they got a great fan base, right? So they, they've invested in that program. Um, and then you, you inherit the two-time uh, or yeah, two-time Mountain West tournament MVP, he was conference player of the year, Sam Merrill, for three seasons. And then he did bring in Kata. You can't dismiss that. I mean, that's he's he's a difference maker, but what a gem of a find that was. So yeah, a lot of and he's done a great job with the cast that, that he was handed, uh, in addition to his recruiting. Uh, but you, you know, you if you're trying to compare the two, Nico and his staff have done a pretty darn good job recruiting themselves. I mean, he's got a freshman of the year, reigning freshman of the year in, in Stevens. Uh, and if he hadn't won it, Roddy probably would have, right? So yeah. you need to find a big-time power forward. But you need to find probably or at least have one of the, the young big men in, in, that's currently on the roster to develop fast. Uh, but when you look back, when Nico came in, he inherited 11 and 21 team. And that team was not in good shape. And you had some guys that just uh, during the changeover, they, they, it was clear they weren't going to buy in. So he had to make some tough decisions and remove some actually some key contributors from the previous year. Yeah, we We're not really willing to buy into the vision. So, I mean, he could have he could have kept players and had a, probably a better record during his debut season in 2018, but it would have stunted the program's growth. So then you saw that huge jump last year. They go 20 and 12, showed that they were in a better position than that, that, you know, earlier than we thought they might be, you know, with a very young team. So um, the, this turnaround we're seeing now is mirroring what Nico did at Furman and Drake. You know, Furman inherited a seven and twenty fourteen in a program that had just one winning season the previous seven years. Uh, in his four years there, he went nine twenty one, eleven and twenty two. Then he saw his first winning season, his third year, tied for third in the conference, and then twenty three and eleven, tied for first. Uh, and then he went to Drake for one year. He had a team that had averaged eight wins in the previous three years, and he goes seventeen and seventeen and makes it to the CIT. So the point is, is you can't go wrong with either of these two guys. They're both very talented. Uh, they just both started in very different places as far as what they inherited. So regardless, I, I'm happy to see two really good coaches in this conference doing good things because this conference needs as many good components and, and good programs in it as possible. So, you know, Mike, as, as good of a coach as Larry Stacey is and was at CSU, in his six seasons at CSU, he had three 21 seasons, which is pretty dang good when you look at the, the overall body of work for in CSU basketball history, it's not a whole lot of 21 seasons. Uh, he had one NCAA tournament. Nico, though, he's in his third season. I'm not sure if he'll get to 20 wins this year just because of the, there was not a whole lot of non-conference games. You know, there he's at 10 wins right now. But if you, you know that if we would have had a normal non-conference season, he's, he would have gotten to 20 wins. So that would be two in three seasons. He's building a tournament team. And we're not maybe quite there yet. Um, maybe we are, but uh, I'm, I'm certainly very happy with the hire. I feel he was the right fit here. He's what the program needed. We talked about 
Larry Stacy's aloofness and the way he treated players on the outs on the outside. He said all the right things and loved his players, but there were some some very disturbing reports on what he did behind the scenes and just the way he treated the other people on campus. So Nico was the the perfect antidote there. And I think, you know, Nico goes the 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 route of building the four-year players and Larry Stacy did not. And Nico puts a high premium on bringing in high character guys, you know, guys. And those are the guys that um, he wants to build a program around because he thinks in the long run that those are the kind of guys that will get you wins. But from a fan standpoint, those are the kind of guys that you want to cheer for. You want to go up to every game and you want to cheer and cheer your butt off and root for these guys. And, and, you know, Nico has surrounded himself with a lot of quality assistance. He's a guy that connects with fans and alumni and builds enthusiasm. So I think all those things, and Craig Smith could have been that same guy, right? He could have done all the same things. But I think Nico is, is, is the right guy. I have no qualms about saying that. Either one of them would have been a great hire, but I have no problem. Nico is a fantastic guy for CSU. We've got to keep him here for a long time, and I think special things can happen. Exactly. I'm a huge fan. But, you know, and you know this, I, I'm a huge fan of Larry Eustachie. I liked him. You know, there's a few chances that I got to, to actually speak with him talk to him away from, away from, you know, the crowd and stuff. And, and he, you know, he was, he had, he had a funny sense of humor, dry sense of humor. I like that about him, but it was just his time to, to, to go. You, you look at, you look at a coach like Bobby Knight, you look at these coaches when they have a shelf life, they really do. And, and, and he hit his and, and, you know, we've talked, uh, you know, Brian Roth brought it up. I think Kelly Kelly Lyle brought it up about how that 2015 season took it all out of him, and and CSU got screwed. There's there's just no other way to look at it. CSU got screwed big time uh, that game, and and it you could see a different coach. Now that 2017 season, actually the Mountain West Coach of the Year, you know it was awesome. It was amazing. You know. I thought he should have been fired that December whenever we lost three, three uh, players because of grades. And, and, and you could see that he wasn't covering all the bases, but then to have, you know, that the magnificent seven <laughs> to roll, to roll from December with just seven players and, and to go as deep to finish second in the mountain West, uh, both in the regular season and in, in uh, the conference tournament, it was a great run. I mean, that was a great run. And, and it showed the kind of talent that he brought in and, and that he actually, you know, wasn't a bad coach, you know, but he was done. I mean, he, he really was done and, and he wasn't doing everything that he needed to do around the entire program, not just during a game, but around the entire program. And, and you're right. I mean, what Nico brings is, is kind of the exact opposite. You know, when we had him on, he talked about, you know, how proud he was of their, the academic side of um, what they were doing and, and how they challenge each other and, and how you have someone like, you know, Adam Thistlewood, who's like two years past what he should be as far as uh, computer engineering and um, programming and, and what he's doing. And he's already building code and, and what they do out, just outside of, of Moby and how it's translating as well inside Moby. I love the hire. I, not that not that Coach Smith would have not done this, but we have the right person in place. 
and again, and I, and I brought it up earlier, we're a young team and, and we're really in year two of a, of a rebuild because you, you, you almost have to throw that first year out because we just had such a weird combination of, of players from, from Larry's team to trying to scramble to bring in kids um, with, with a few of those departures. So I like the trajectory last night again obviously it wasn't pretty you know we'll see what happens tomorrow we'll see if we learn from that we build on that I mean we definitely saw that in against St. Mary's when you know we go to Santa Clara a, a, a team that beat St. Mary's uh, last week I believe and um, seeing how we took it to them after a couple days off and how the team reacted so we'll see we'll see what happens tomorrow now, I'm not someone who thinks that a coach has to be everyone's best friend. It's got to be a player's coach. Uh, it's got to be buddy-buddy with all the alumni. Pointed out Bobby Knight, Larry Stacy, obviously. Got a lot of good things. But for CSU in, partic- in particular, when you saw how far the fan base had fallen prior to Tim Miles coming, it took a while for him to get that passion back from the fan base. And he got it. I mean, I'll never forget. Uh, was 2013. We had the orange out against San Diego State, and that place was absolutely rocking. Um, that was Larry's team. Oh, <laughs> uh, was that Larry? Yeah, Larry. Okay, so you're yeah. right. Yeah, but All even right. the year before, the year before the, the orange out game, yeah, yeah, it was unreal. Yeah, exactly. So it was Tim Miles last year. The orange out game was rocking. Then Larry Stacy's team was rocking, but slowly that fan base started to dwindle. And then when Nico came back his first year. He said privately, he's like, man, I never thought it would be this hard to get the fans back. Where did they go? And I think there was just a loss of identity, a loss of uh, the program resonating with fans. Um, So beyond wins and losses, it was important to get a guy that fans would rally behind, a guy that would build a program with four-year players so you could have these guys in the program for four years start identifying with them, start, you know, just it, all of those components were important. So I think Nico was the right hire and I will, I will, I will fight anyone who thinks otherwise. Um, and, you know, and, you know, going off of, of, of Craig uh, Smith and, and Nico, when you look back at their, their tenure as, as Timmy's assistants, everyone knew who, Nico, you know, Nico was, was, was really kind of a, the, the face of the bench, to be honest, um, more so than, than Craig. So, so you're right. Whenever, whenever we have fallen so far and, and kind of lost that goodwill from that 2013, 14, 15 seasons uh, under Larry to, to need somebody that that fans connected to, I think the t- a typical CSU fan knows Nico Medved more than they knew Craig Smith. And again, not, not saying that, that, that Smith couldn't have, couldn't have brought that, couldn't, couldn't have done what he's doing right now in, in Utah State as well. But we saw, we saw more of Nico. And, and again, he's the one that stayed on in that 2013 season with, with Coach Eustachie. You know, he was that bridge from Timmy to Larry and, and with those kids. So, he, and he, I mean, he was the face on the bench when we made that NCAA run, when we beat Missouri, when we – had a tough uh, – played Louisville tough in that first half. 
So, it, it, I mean, to me, it was a no-brainer. I can see a good rivalry brewing between CSU and Utah State because of it. Um, anyway, moving on, one last spot here before we sign off and go to our interview with Javen. Kevin Lytle from the Colorado and uh, tweeted out, as you know, Urban Meyer took the head coaching job at Jacksonville, uh, Jaguars in the NFL, and it was thought that there was a decent chance that Urban would offer Coach Adazio the offensive line position there. And we debated it for a while on the board on would he be interested? Would he do that? Would he make that jump? There's a lot of reasons why he might, a lot of reasons why he might not. Ultimately, Kevin Lyle, he tweeted and said, yes, there was conversation about taking that job. He was basically asked if he'd be interested in the job. And what Kevin Lytle said was that Coach Adazio chose to stay at CSU. And if that's really how it went, I think that's a great, great sign for CSU football. I think it would have been really, really difficult to bounce back from yet another wholesale coaching staff change at CSU, you know, two and two years, essentially. Uh, it's just not a good way to build a program, no matter who you get to come in that next year, you know, whether it be Tony Alford or some, some other super proven superstar coach, you know, it's, it's not, uh, not easy to, to start over like that, but um, especially when you see the commitment that a lot of these returning seniors or would have been graduating seniors made to come back to the program. I think it would have been a big slap if Adazio had left, you know, and, and I, I would suspect he may not feel, may not have felt 100% backed by the university and uh, during all the investigation and the allegations, all that stuff. Uh, so for him to stay, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a good sign. I think he thinks he's got a chance to build something here. I think it was good for the returning seniors, and I think it's just healthy in, in general for football at CSU. You know, I agree, and, and you, brought, you brought up the returning seniors. When you, when you have someone like a Manny Jones, who, you know, has a shot at playing in the, in the league, you know, as a, as a defensive lineman, when you have uh, the, the, the defensive end from uh, – that transferred from Miami. Patchen. Patchen. Same with him. I mean, he, this guy's stock rose big time from going from where he wasn't playing that much to, to what he did on the field. And, and just kind of the, the analytics part of it, the, the, the analytics stat, uh, stats on him, what he was doing was, was unreal. You know, you have, you have a, uh, the McBride brothers, but, uh, you know, Trey – somebody who's who's looked at as as going to be drafted as a tight end and all american which uh, joke that phil Steele had him third team mountain west tight end and the mountain west media had him second team when he's being selected as an all american an absolute joke on that but you know to, to have him to come back not not just once but now twice and, and having Coach Adazio as, as that reason, I think it shows that Adazio believes that we have the talent and that with a little more seasoning, we have a chance to make that run next year. thing with the NFL, those coaches get run through quick. Uh, position coaches, I mean, they're, they're, they're changing nonstop. So if, if – if that's something that he really does want down the road, they, that opportunity is going to be there for him to, to turn that down now. And, and, you know, if coach Fairchild talked about it, you know, whenever he left, when he left CSU to go to the NFL, how that was his thought. It was like, okay, I, I'm, I'm able to, to take that next step 
you know, I think all coaches have that feeling. And even a head coach to have an opportunity because then maybe you're next, you're the next head coach with the Jaguars after a couple of years of uh, working under, under urban as the head coach, maybe you get that opportunity to be the head coach, but for him to, to, to stay, I, I mean, I think it, it really hits home that we have, we have enough talent to, to compete with that for that mountain West title. Again, obviously we got to clean up. We, we really didn't wrap up the season. I think losing that New Mexico game early hurt. I think we play that and win that. Then we, I think we beat Fresno state the next week. I mean, you're in a hold three block kicks for touchdowns in the first quarter against Boise really can't do much about that afterwards. And, and then the return game being asleep against San Diego state in a game that we still had a chance to win, you know, at the end. I mean, that was, that was a, a tight game. And then losing UNLV, losing Air Force, losing Utah State, I think those are games that we win. That's a completely different season for us. You know, that's a that's a six and two season. And who knows if we have a, a non-conference schedule, you know, that could be nine wins, you know, eight, nine, ten wins with a bowl. So I think he sees that and and I think he he knows that we have something to build on. And and I think he really likes this recruiting class and and and, and some of the transfers coming in. And, and I think we, we, we have, you know, it kind of sounds harsh saying it. We did out, you know, certain aspects that were on the team that will not be on the team next year. You know, I, I loved how when he took over, there weren't a lot of transfers that left that they, they wanted to stay for at least one season to see. And now with the playing time and, and how things are going, then yes, you know, I like it. Um, I'm glad that he's coming back. I, I, you know, I think, I think it's a p- extremely positive thing going into 21. And I, I think there's probably something to be said for the fact that he gets to coach with his son, which, you know, after one year here, less than a year and only four actual gains uh, that he got to coach with his son, his son just had a, a, uh, a baby as well, you know, so for him to have taken a new job, it's obviously breaking breaking that opportunity up so regardless of the reasons it's good that he's staying really good stuff mike let's uh take a quick break so that we can welcome in javen from the mount west conference here in just a moment we'll be back this is ram nation radio i'm joel that's mike all right welcome back to ram nation radio our guest here in this segment is javen headland uh, Associate Commissioner of External Communication Strategy. Javen, thanks for joining us. I know I've known you for quite a while now. We didn't really know each other in college, but um, we did graduate around the same time. You joined the Mountain West in 1999 when the conference was formed. You spent 17 years there, took a couple years for yourself, moved to Hawaii with your wife. That's uh, love to know how that transpired. <laughs> and and uh, and, and you know, how you afforded yourself to go to move away for a couple of years and live in paradise, but you returned back to the conference again. Tell me, what, uh, what was that like to move away and go live in Hawaii for a couple of years? It was, it was an experience. I tell you that much. I, mean, I loved it. I love the Hawaiian islands. I love the Hawaiian people, the culture, the, the sense of Ohana family out there. Uh, I, I really enjoyed the warm weather. Um, of course, growing up in Colorado, going to Colorado States and working at the mountain West for so long. I mean, it was a little cold here, but, 
it was time for just a change after being with the league for 17 years. So I went and worked for uh, Weston over there and, and had a great time. Uh, and then when I got the phone call from the commissioner about returning, uh, it, it made sense at that time. Cause I've always had a passion for college athletics. Working in the hotel industry was fun, but that wasn't always my passion. And the Mountain West and the teams that have represent the Mountain West have always been my passion. So it was a good time to, to return. Plus my wife didn't love Hawaii as much as I did. She really? uh, got, she got a little bit of Island fever. So, and she's more of a city girl. So she, she was excited to move. Hmm. That's interesting. I'm not sure that would happen to me, but I guess <laughs> I can, I guess I can understand it in some respects. So your, uh, your time at CSU, um, we never get to really see your CSU side because you, you've got to kind of be uh, unbiased as a representative of, of all the universities uh, that are members in the Mount West, but um, you're a journalism uh, student like myself, speech communications graduate. Uh, you had a chance to work under Gary Azello during some of CSU's best athletic years. Um, were you involved with certain sports at the time or just kind of a, a jack of all trades? Uh, was it an internship, I assume, or were you working as a getting paid in, in a student role? Yeah, um, I wish I was getting paid. We didn't get paid back then. It was just really all your free time. So, mm-hmm. but yes, I worked under the legendary Gello, Gary Ozello, um, great mentor to, to so many CSU students, especially those who want to get into the sports field. And I couldn't have asked for a better mentor than Gary Ozello. And so, yeah, when I was actually in the communication department, um, Dr. Ann Gill and Dr. Denny Phillips, uh, my advisor, um, pointed me over to, to Ozello when I was able to start in the media relations department there. Um, I worked every single football game and basketball game as you do as a student, uh, which was a lot of fun. Uh, my, my roommate at the time when I was in college was actually Justin Scholl, who was the tight end at the time. In fact, he had those two touchdowns and that huge win over Arizona when Desert Swarm and that team was, was number one in the country. So All he did uh, was catch was touchdown passes. All he did, all he did was catch touchdown passes. So, so no, it was, uh, it was a guidance from, from both Ann Gill and, and Dr. Phillips to, to meet up with Gary Ozello. And so I, I pretty much did soft, um, softball at the time, um, swimming and diving, which I was fortunate to work with, with John Matos, um, a great gentleman of, of swimming and diving at, at Colorado State. So I did pretty much softball, swimming and diving, and then whatever they needed me to do for, um, for the golfs as well, and then for basketball and for football. And then you, you get an opportunity, and I know you, you got your kind of uh, your first job with, uh, your, with a minor league team, uh, Oklahoma City. Then you went to San Diego State. Then I think you worked for the Padres. I, I, was, yeah. I was kind of looking at your LinkedIn and your, some of your background. And then you get an opportunity to, to join a conference that had just been formed. I mean, I, I remember how the conference was formed very vividly, the breakaway of – of those key members of the WAC, uh, meeting at the airport, uh, forming this conference. I, I personally was at the first ever football game in Provo uh, with, uh, with CSU participated in. What was it like to kind of, I mean, you may not have had anything to compare it to, but to, to get in on the ground floor of a conference like that? It was exciting, but also very challenging. Uh, I still remember when I got the job my first day in the office, I think there was probably 10 people on staff and I walked into my cubicle and there was a piece of paper. Oh, there's a notepad with a pencil. 
And that's all I had. There was not even a computer there. You had no history. You know, there's nothing there. And you had to start creating media guides for football and basketball and softball and baseball and everything else. But you had nothing to go by. So we, re we relied a lot on the institutions, uh, relied a lot on the folks from the WAC. They were very generous to us despite the split from them, uh, but great individuals over at the, uh, at the WAC. But it was, it was fun. I mean, you could, you could set your own tone, set your own policies, start something brand new, and starting from the ground up with, with these eight institutions that started back in 19, 1999 was a lot of fun. I mean, I still remember that first game between BYU and Colorado State. Uh, that was a lot of fun. But it's, it's, it was a, the opportunity to create our own path and, and create our own league was, was a lot of fun back in 1999. So minor league baseball, how was that? And how did, how, did you, uh, how did you get that job coming out of CSU? I graduated in December, and it's not easy to find jobs in December. Usually when you're trying to get into college athletics – it's usually a summertime job, so anywhere from April to, to August. So when I graduated, there wasn't a lot of openings, but the Oklahoma City 89ers at the time uh, had a marketing job available. And really, at there, you did anything and everything. I did marketing. I did phone sales. I was calling from the phone book trying to sell ticket, um, ticket packages. I was the mascot. I poured beer. Um, you know, you, you did the marketing on the field during any – I mean, during the – um, separation of innings. So it was, it was a great opportunity to get my feet wet in sports and do everything from the marketing to media relations and recognize what I like to do. And then I moved on to San Diego state and, and worked in their media relations office from there. So minor league baseball gives you a taste of, of the sports world, but at the triple a level, you have to be willing and able to do anything and everything. What, what was your favorite promotion that you, that you did um, the, the favorite promotion was basically, I loved the one where you'd have to do the bats. You spin around and then you have to run from home plate to, to the pitcher's mounds. Yeah. Now the problem is, is you're doing that in the baseball. I don't know if you've ever looked at the Oklahoma State 89er, but it's basically a big old baseball head. It's gigantic in a baseball uniform. And when you try to do the spin around and try to beat a little kid out to the pitcher's mound, it, it doesn't work out so well. You can't see peripherally and you just fall all over the place. So I didn't, we didn't win and I didn't win very often. <laughs> well, Jamin, um, some, some good friends of mine who had a marketing agency called Black Diamond Concepts, they were the agency that the Mountain West hired from the get-go to do, you know, the initial logo, all the branding, TV commercials, um, you know, remember the above the rest uh, slogan. I ultimately took over that role of running that organization in around 2006. Um, so I have a, a good, uh, love the Mount West. It's a passion of mine still today. So I feel like I got this extra connection to the Mount West, but um, I have always taken great pride in all the successes that the Mount West has and a lot of the milestones. I mean, the Mount West is a, people don't give them enough credit, but there's a lot of pioneering milestones that the Mount West has had over the years. I mean, you look back and, you know, the Thursday night play, um, really piggybacking off the, the whack, but um, the Mount West carrying that on was kind of the first conference to really do that. Now everybody wants to play on Thursday. Then you had instant replay and the replay challenges. Really the Mountain West was the first conference to, to get into that. 
Um, the Mountain West was the first conference to initiate a, a television network, The Mountain, which got some criticism only because a lot of people couldn't get it. But for those of us who had it, it was an amazing tool for being able to follow your, your favorite um, university. What, you know, what else am I missing there? I mean, the Mount West, uh, you, you got to take some pride in what the Mount West has been able to do. Is a you know, and in the grand scheme of things, a pretty young conference over the last 20 years. I think you've hit a lot of them. Um, I'm very proud to be a part of the Mountain West staff and work with Commissioner Thompson because he is very innovative and, and pushes the envelope. That Thursday night package was huge for, for Colorado State and several different programs. You still talk to people after that first six-year, seven-year TV agreement, the first seven-year TV agreement, and all people talk about is Colorado State played on Thursday night every single week, it seemed like. Well, really, they only played twice or three times a year, but that branding helped CSU greatly because everybody thought CSU was always on Thursday night. Uh, for the Mountain West, it was awesome because nobody played on Thursday nights. That became a very popular night. Then we lost it after the first seven years because now the ACC wanted to play on Thursday night. Now, all of a sudden, the NFL wants to play on Thursday night. So, we really set a, a great trend with Thursday night football because it all started with ESPN and the Mountain West Conference. And as you talked about the instant replay, the coaches challenge uh, that came from the Mountain West, uh, the, the mountain, that's probably one of the greatest things that I was a part of since starting with the league and getting the league kicked off was, was the, was the mountain. I thought that was a, a great idea. Uh, I wish it would have lasted longer. I wish, the owner of the membership and the fans would have accepted that a little bit more because imagine where that would be today to have 24 hour programming of all of our sports promotion of all of our sports. Uh, I mean, you see almost, I mean, all the power five conferences, they all have one, you know, outside of the big 12, but everybody has those these days. So it's a great promotional tool. And I think we missed that. We still have the mountain West network on our website, uh, but it's not a TV network like that. Uh, and then I think, I think you got to look at bowl innovation. Um, it's been a challenge to find bowl games and the Mountain West has started five of them. They've been a part of seven inaugural bowl games, but Commissioner Thompson has really gone out to try to get as many bowl opportunities for our teams as possible because there's not too many bowl games out on the West Coast. And he has gone out and forged relationships with local communities. Um, yes, a lot of the bowl games are in our stadiums, but if we didn't create those bowl games, we wouldn't have opportunities for, for Mountain West teams. So I think that's another innovation that I'm very proud of for the Mountain West is the continual generation of bowl games. Even after we lost the Las Vegas Bowl, uh, which was a staple since 1999, we lost that, but now we're able to get, you know, SoFi Stadium out in LA and now have the LA Bowl, which we didn't get to play this year, but I can't wait to go see that stadium uh, and I'm glad that's going to be our, our, where our champion is going to be if we don't have, well, it's our, our number one selection, depending on who we have in the New York Six Bowl, hopefully here in the future. Thinking back off of that, I mean, nobody really realized how difficult it would be. You know, you launch a, a TV network, everyone's going to pick you up. You're going to be available everywhere, right? But, uh, you know, you look at the what the Pac-12 has gone through. I mean, they still have people that vilify the Pac-12 for their 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 network and in, in I, I don't know if it's not available on like dish or i can't remember what it is i don't really follow pac 12 as closely i get them on Comcast, comcast but are there any chance in the future you think that the something equivalent to the mountain uh, might be rekindled on network tv or cable tv or dish tv sometime in the in the future 
Um, it's always a possibility. It really depends on on where things go. And like right now, I don't think CBS is in the space that they want to start having conference sponsorships when it comes to TV networks, kind of like ESPN has with the ACC and the in the SEC. Uh, you never know what Fox could end up doing down the line. Um, they're very creative, um, very genius at the at the top levels there. So they may want to start getting into that realm. So I'll never say never. Uh, so that's I think that's a possibility. I think, as you talked about, the, the Pac-12 is not on DirecTV, and that's where everybody gets fired up. When the mountain started, we were on DISH. And we were on DirecTV, but weren't on DISH. And then, of course, trying to get on the other cable outlets. So I, I would say it's, it's a possibility. I don't think it's in the near future. Uh, but a lot of it comes down to success and, and seats and filling seats in stadiums because the more attractive you are, the more opportunities you're going to have uh, for a, a network to say, hey, we, we want more coverage. And our fans want more coverage, and so therefore, a network would make sense. Pretty, pretty funny. Um, I was at uh, I was in Durham, North Carolina, last November for the CSU Duke basketball game, and uh, we actually went to the Duke uh, Notre Dame football game the, the next night. And I'm sitting there, and I'm listening to this guy next to me talk about CSU and how he kind of has an affinity for them, and he, he just sounded knowledgeable about. CSU and you know they were in town but the, we started talking about Mount West I look at him and I'm like god I, you know I, I love hearing you talk about the Mount West and I look at him I look at his face and it's Marius Payton yeah I think he's or something in uh Charlotte or something like that so he had traveled down to to Durham for the game it was pretty cool to, to catch up with him yeah he was uh, in San Diego I mean he was in the uh, Salt Lake for a while. And then when the mountain started, he came out and was one of our lead anchors there before it, it folded and he had to move on. Yes. Good old Marius. Yeah. So Jay, when you talked about how we were kind of in it, so many inaugural bowls and I look at CSU, you know, we were in the first new Orleans bowl. We were in the first San Francisco bowl uh, a couple years later. And then we were in the Poinciata bowl coming up with these bowls. And then now not being a part of them is, is that, a big struggle of it that we make a bowl popular and then they decide to go a, a different route or like what, what was kind of the, the play on that in, in losing like a new Orleans bowl or, or the San Francisco bowl. Yeah. A lot of those are, I mean, we got them started and, and moved forward with it. The new Orleans bowl was just one that started up and they needed a team that first year. That wasn't going to be a long-term plan. A lot of these bowl agreements are anywhere between three and six years. And then they re-up and they determine if they want to keep that opponent or if it makes sense to move on. So as the number of bowls expand, a lot of bowls have started to want to be more regional. So that's why we, we lost the New Orleans Bowl, because that was really just a one time we were able to fill a slot. That's one thing the commissioner does tremendously every single year, because we typically as a league have more teams qualify for bowl games than we have bowls. And the way that he navigates it and, and is able to slot teams and random bowls that we aren't even affiliated with um, is, is patchwork that he does every single year, which is shocking. But as you look at our, our bowl agreements, it just changes. San Francisco just wasn't able to be supported. Uh, so one of those bowls just didn't continue. Uh, even remember the old Silicon Valley bowl. Um, that was ours for a while that they weren't able to support that. And they decided to fold. Um, the other San Francisco bowl decided to move on and go with the uh, Pac-12, and then they were going to bring in an ACC team um, all the way across the country. So as they grow and build, sometimes they want to start grabbing those power conferences because they want to get 
TV ratings or they want to try to bring in fans from across the country over there. Uh, so it's, it's a challenge every single year. But, I mean, right now we have several bowl games for the future. We have Los, Los Angeles, as I mentioned. We have the Idaho Potato Bowl, New Mexico. We have the Arizona Bowl. We still have the Hawaii Bowl. And then we're most likely going to be in one of the bowls in the Metroplex. It's an ESPN Bowl. We don't know which one, but it rotates with us every single year. And then we're always a backup uh, in the Cheez-It Bowl down in, in Arizona. So even though they rotate around a lot, it's not just the Mountain West. It's other leagues as well. It's just when bowl agreements end, new ones, new ones pop up. Is it? I mean, yes, you got a great replacement in the Los Angeles Bowl, but it's a little bit frustrating, maybe more so disappointing to, to lose the Vegas Bowl once they moved to the Raiders Stadium, or did you know that was coming? I mean, I think we have a great relationship with Las Vegas. We've had our basketball championship there, you know, all but three years, the three years we held it in Denver. Uh, so we have our football and basketball media days that have been held in Las Vegas. Uh, and, and yes, we'd love to still be a part of the Las Vegas Bowl, but with them moving into a brand new stadium, I think they wanted to try something different with the Pac-12 and now bring in the SEC. Um, when you have an opportunity to grab the SEC, there's not too many people that are going to pass on that across the board. So when they accepted, uh, the Mountain West had to find, uh, find a new home. So I mean, I think there's always a possibility of, of returning to Vegas in the future, potentially. It's always been a great partner of the Mountain West, uh, but we're excited about the opportunity in L.A. with the L.A. Bowl. Yeah, it would be even even a, a second bowl in Vegas, you know, where you play on a different date than than that the traditional Vegas Bowl. I mean, it's just such a great destination and a great facility. Yeah, and, and you never know what's going to happen. I mean, nobody ever thought there was going to be an NHL team, let alone an NFL team there. Uh, so – the opportunities continue to abound. The NCAA is going to host, a turn, host an NCAA basketball tournament there in the future. So you never know. I wouldn't be shocked if there's another bowl game and they have one before Christmas and then after Christmas right. because it's such a destination shot site. Right. Do you, uh, I mean, you've been with the conference for so long. What are some of the, the key moments that you remember? I mean, for me and granted, a lot of, a lot of my favorite moments are of, members that are no longer in the conference, but I mean, you had, you had Utah winning the Fiesta Bowl it was really the first time a, a non power five, whatever you want to call them, autonomous five that um, won a BCS bowl game or made it into a BCS game and then won it. Uh, and then they also had the top draft pick in the NFL, and the NBA draft that same year. They also won the Sugar Bowl. I mean, Utah had a great run. They had TCU winning the Rose Bowl, uh, Boise State, in, in BCS games, what, when you look back, what are some of the, your favorite moments of, of Mount West performances on the field or on the court? Yeah, I remember back in 04, I think that 04, 05 was probably one of the best years in the Mountain West. Um, like you just said, Utah won the Fiesta Bowl against Pitt easily uh, with Urban Myers, their coach. They had the number one pick in the NFL and the NBA that year with Andrew Bogut. Um, so that was really cool that year. Um, I think Utah beating Alabama in 2008 in the Sugar Bowl. Of course, Alabama will say that they, you know, they didn't want to play in that game. But to, to have Utah go there and have that performance from Brian Johnson as the quarterback, and uh, that, was, that was a huge game. Uh, still remember TCU's win in the Rose Bowl against Wisconsin. Who would ever thought that a Mountain West team was going to play in a Rose Bowl? Uh, that, was, that was special to go play in, in L.A. And play, and, and play in the Rose Bowl. So that's one of my – one of my favorites. Uh, I think 
Commissioner Thompson's one of my, it's not even athletic related. It is somewhat, but when it comes to competition, but I think Commissioner Thompson's fight with the BCS when he went um, to the, to the house of representatives and fought for a playoff and they laughed at him and basically said, there's not going to be a playoff. We're not going to move to a playoff ever. And what are we at now? We're at a 14 playoff. Uh, and commissioner Thompson's always thought there'll be eight teams in the playoff. So uh, his, his effort to lobby for the mountain West for better access I think is, is one of the highlights highlights as well is, is for that access. But um, I think every time that we play in in-state tournament and we win in-state tournament games as a league, I mean, that, those are just so exciting to see a team move on to the, the 32, 16 or eight. We haven't got lucky to get to the final four as of yet, but hopefully that changes. Um, I can tell you that watching New Mexico win women's cross country national championship a couple of years ago, Kaladi win the individual championship a year ago, um, th those are special moments that they aren't football related, but to see those, those moments are great. And then I think, in, and I know Joel, you've been out to the Mountain West basketball tournament. I think that so, those championship games over the years have been so much fun. You remember when CSU uh, made it to the championship game. Um, when that team wins a Mountain West championship, it means something. And every single one of them still to this day gives me goosebumps to, to see teams and, and fans celebrate. This year's going to be a little weird without fans in the stands. Uh, but just like our football championship game, that was weird as well. But uh, I'm glad that uh, San Jose State and Boise were able to get through it. And, uh, and what a great season for, for San Jose will you, State. Will you rest. ever forget the – basically was the mouse of the glory days of Mountain West basketball. But was it 2011? We had Kawhi Leonard, Jim Fredette. Um, the Mount West tournament was just insane how packed yes. it was and how loud – I mean, every game was sold out. Uh, the level of, of play, the superstars in that in that in that tournament was unbelievable. Um, oh, you know, and then I think we had five teams in the in the tournament that year as well. I'm not sure we'll ever see that again, but I, I I think this conference in basketball we had a hit a low there for a little bit, but this conference in basketball uh, has a an ability to be pretty pretty darn good and has a history of 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 showing that. Yeah, I think it's all cyclical. I mean, I think there's a couple of years you can look there where the Mountain West was getting four to five teams in and the Pac-12 was getting two and everybody's like, oh, what's going on with the Pac-12? Now all of a sudden the Pac-12 is getting a few more and the Mountain West only have one or two. It, it is cyclical and I think you see that cycle starting to change again. Right now we have four very eligible, very qualified teams to get in the NCAA tournament and Colorado State is one of those right now. Um, yes, they had a tough loss you know, the other night to, to Utah State, but that's a tough place to play. But between San Diego State, Boise State, Utah State, and Colorado State, I think they all have a great ch chance to get the in-state tournament. And if we can start getting four, three, four, five teams in each and every year, that's going to help the league and branding. It's going to help us revenue-wise because you know that every single unit counts. Uh, so I'm excited to see the rest of the regular season play out here, and I really hope that we can get all four of those teams uh, in Indianapolis this year. Got to win when we get there, too. Got to got to get some wins when we get there. Correct. So you know, we talked a lot about the good of the conference history, and you know we had a couple. We had a little bit of a lull in football and basketball. We just didn't have as many. Uh, we didn't have the the run of BCS or New Year Six football bowl qualifiers. Um, didn't have the powerhouse. I mean, we, last year we probably would have with San Diego State in the NCAA tournament, uh, and then Utah State making their run. I think both of those teams could have could have done some damage in the tournament, but we just haven't had the on-field, on-court success in the major sports 
um, that we have in the past. And, you know, we're in this culture where everyone likes to fire everybody, right? And, and so, like any public figure, Craig Thompson takes some heat, right? And anytime a game is, is not televised on network TV and it's on the internet, fire Craig Thompson, you know? So, but there's, what's interesting about that is he's not like the sole decision maker. It's a board that makes these decisions, right? It's, it's every president of every member, every member uh, institution that is really behind these final decisions. So what, what, what kind of light can you shed on how difficult that is for where, you know, and he's got this vision, wants to go here, but you also have to get 12 university presidents on board and, you know, just, and then you have to have pieces fall in place with TV negotiations, with bowl uh, alignments, with, you know, all the stuff that goes into being a commissioner. Um, do you think that, that he gets a fair shake and, and what goes into, what shed some light on what truly goes into how things get done in a conference uh, in decision-making. Right. No, I think the Mountain West has been very fortunate to have Commissioner Thompson as the only commissioner of the league. And everything that he's done since it was formed in 1999. And, and yes, if you're the commissioner of any league, you're, you're not loved by fans, right? You get booed for no matter what you do. You can't do anything right because uh, it's always the commissioner's fault that you don't get more teams in the NCAA tournament. It's always the commissioner's fault that you don't get a team to the New York Six or a bowl game if you don't get a go. But you, you hit it right on the, whole, um, on the head, Joel. The commissioner leads the conference and leads the membership, but he's not the sole decision maker on, on everything across the board. His bosses are the 12 university presidents who not only have athletics to look over, but they're looking over the entire university. And athletics is just a small part of what they have to, 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 what they have to do. They're the ones who make the final, final decision on almost everything that we do. And then you have the joint council, which is our senior women administrators, our faculty athletic rep representatives, and then of course the athletic directors. The athletic directors come together and make a lot of the decisions. And they did that this year with our cost reduction measures. They did that with um, our scheduling, the number of games, everything like that. They're the ones choosing which way to go and then the league implements it. So it's the membership who makes final decisions Craig will bring stuff to the table. Commissioner Thompson brings stuff to the table, but does not make the decision on a lot of things. He'll, he'll guide them. He gives them the, the path. He builds the railroad tracks. But the membership tells us if they want to go left, if they want to go right, or if they want to continue going straight. So right before we got on the call and started recording this, um, you got out of a meeting, staff meeting, and you're talking about some of the the latest updates with COVID. I mean, I can't imagine the challenges you guys have had to face this year. Um, you were kind of leading on to some of the updates on spring sports. Um, but, you know, the, the, the changes you made to basketball scheduling um, and, then, and then, you know, with the, you know, with the two game series um, and then everything you had to go through with football. Uh, and now you've got some teams that are dropping out of spring sports what has it been like? Just you know, this is unprecedented. What, what has it been like for you guys? Tell us, give us some examples of some of the challenges you guys have faced, um, even as of today. Uh, it's it's been very challenging. Um, I'm proud of our staff and our membership uh, for their uh, re resiliency. I will say during this time, but also they their ability to be nimble uh, and bob and weave because they've had to do that a lot. I mean, we weren't going to have a football season. 
And then all of a sudden we had a football season and had a short time to prepare for that. And then once we're in the season, uh, every single week crossing fingers, but then all of a sudden you have to cancel a game. Can you move a game trying to figure all that out uh, right now with the basketball season? Um, it's challenge. You have San Jose state, New Mexico that cannot play in their home arenas because they can't even return to their state. So those kids are in hotel rooms, practicing, playing in a, in a neutral arena that they're not used to having to follow all these protocols and we're having to shift game times. We're having to shift, shift locations of games uh, later in the year. We're going to have to reschedule a lot of these games. Uh, so that's, that's been a big challenge. And then also trying to have to put together uh, COVID protocols for every single sport. And it's different for every single sport because the NCAA um, and their resocialization guidelines, you know, they have different tiers. And if you're a low impact, a medium or high impact sport, what you have to do for testing. So we have to put testing cadences together for different sports uh, throughout the week. We have reporting procedures that they have to turn into us every single time they're, they're competing. And so trying to put together those COVID protocols have been challenging. Um, being able to provide, for example, women's soccer and women's volleyball, the opportunity to play their season because they lost the fall, but how do you get them to be able to play in the spring? And we decided just to have conference only so that we could get in a season, but also not tax our universities too much because imagine all the spring sports that typically take place and what that does to a university staff. Now we're adding more sports that now they have to manage throughout the entire spring. So it, it's been challenging. Uh, we don't have an indoor track and field season this year. We will have an outdoor track and field season, uh, but it's those type of change, those type of things that you're dealing with every single day and trying to put together protocols, shifting games. We shifted a game yesterday, like tonight's game was supposed to be at nine o'clock. They shifted it two hours to seven o'clock because Fox wanted to do a little bit earlier. The teams were really happy to play at seven rather than nine. But this is a this is an everyday occurrence of managing, canceling game, postponing game, rescheduling a game. And then you also have every single coaches group calling our staff and all they, of course, are concerned about is their student athletes and their sport and what's going on with it. And can we do this? Can we do that? So it's, it's been nonstop since we shut down. And now that we are up and running again, it's, it's definitely a 24-hour-a-day job at times. You hinted at this a little bit, but it sounds like there's probably not going to be any fans at the Mountain West Tournament in March. Yeah, as of right now, it's it's not the Mountain West and it's not UNLV and it's not any of our institutions who don't want to have fans. It's all guided by state, local, and county guidelines. So right now in basketball, I believe Wyoming and Utah State are the only ones that actually have fans in the stands. Um, the governor of Nevada just came out the other day and they are still not allowing fans at any events. So therefore, there's now going to be five conference tournaments in Las Vegas, the Big West also moved from the Honda Center to Las Vegas and Mandalay Bay. No, none of them are going to have fans as of right now. Wow. If the governor of Nevada changes that protocol, but he just extended it by 30 days, so we're not even going to know until probably right around Valentine's Day if they're going to loosen that up. And if they do, is that 10%? Is that 20%? Is it just family and friends? We don't know that as of right now, but the, the state ordinance is that None of those five tournaments, including the Mountain West, will have fans currently at the tournament. So for all the women's games, those will all be on the Mountain West Network, so you can watch them all online. 
And then, of course, the first three men's games are on the Mountain West Network, but then all the rest will be on CBS Sports Network, uh, along with the championship game being on CBS. What kind of hit? I mean, do you guys have uh, projections on what kind of hit financially that that leaves each school with uh, when you don't have a gate revenue, get revenue from gate? Not as of yet, because last year we actually got our tournament in before everything got canceled. So we actually netted a full tournament, which was great. Uh, this year, we don't know. We do have some insurance, some cancellation insurance that will help offset some of those costs. Not all of those, of course, but we'll offset some of it. Um, but it's, it's a significant loss of revenue. Uh, if you don't have a, if you don't have a tournament number one, if you don't have fans in the stands, what those numbers are, I, I don't have those as of yet because we don't know what the numbers are going to be right now. So I don't want to hypothesize what it might be yet. I want to shift gears a little bit. Um, I'm looking back. I'm going to talk about um, conference realignment. And I, you look back to, um, it, was, it was like 2010 when the college football landscape realignment was at its peak. You know, um, Texas was looking to leave the Big 12. And potentially go to the Pac-10. And it was wreaking havoc across the nation. And there were some implications for the Mountain West, right? And at one point, it, it, and it feels like this was going to be a done deal. And at one point, and I've had some conversations, I don't know, I, I don't know how valid some of them are, but some of them are uh, pretty tied uh, into CSU upper echelon. And, you know, there's a point where the Mountain West had a chance to potentially um, join forces with the other half of the Big 12 that was going to be left behind with some of the powers that were going elsewhere, uh, whether that meant they were coming from Mount West or there would be some meshing of the, Mount, the combination of Mount West and Big 12. Can you shed, you know, is there anything you can tell us about how close did that come uh, to be to come to fruition? You know, it was it was almost like you had the KUK State, Iowa State, Baylor, Oklahoma State. Those those kind of those kind of schools that it looked like we had a chance to kind of be join forces with. Was that truly realistic? Were we close to that? What anything you can shed on on that whole situation? I would tell you that everything was being looked at back in those days because everybody thought at, at one point the report said that you, as you just mentioned, Joel, that Texas and Oklahoma were going to the Pac-10. That was going to be the Pac-12. That was going to be it. And then Nebraska was going to go to the Big Ten and, you know, Missouri, Texas A&M was going to go over to the SEC. So that left a group of schools. Uh, where are they going to go? Uh, and then the Mountain West was looking and talking and everything was being considered. And, and some of those teams that you mentioned were, were in the discussion of, of how do we how do we continue moving forward as a league? Who else could could help us as a league? How do we also help? the big 12. And I couldn't tell you if it was going to be called the big 12 or the mountain West or whatever it's going to be called. But I think everybody was fighting for their, their conference life there and trying to figure out what was the best direction to go into. So those were very serious conversations, uh, which way it would have gone. I don't know, but you are correct that there were serious considerations that the mountain West could have looked a lot different with several different teams from potentially the big, big 12 at that time or vice versa. But it, it ended up the way that it go. It went and TCU uh, went to the big 12, Utah went to, went to the PAC 12. And, and those are things that are, that are tough. You don't want to lose quality institutions like that. But as I sit here and us three are the best friends and, and Mike gets a job with, with the guy down the road and they're going to pay him, you know, 27 million compared to you and I, Joel paying him 4 million. Uh, he's going to say, guys, I like it. And I hope we can still be friends, but I got to do what's best for my family over here. So 
So I got to move on. And, and that's what I, that's, I'm proud of TCU and I'm proud of Utah because I still remember back in 2004, uh, college game day was in Salt Lake city. And I remember Kirk Herbstreet saying that, you know, Utah's a good team, but if they were in a power conference, they would not be able to compete. And Utah and TCU have proven that if you give us the same amount of money, the same resources, the same everything across the board, we can be very competitive. They've proven it in the Big 12 and the Pac-12. And if Mountain West teams were able to make $20 million a year, you would see the competition level a whole lot different on the national scale, let alone just conference by conference. Does this shock you that there's such disparity um, in inequality in this level of college athletics where half of the members of the NCAA reap such different benefits than conferences like the Mount West? Is it fair and what can, can anything get, be done about it? Or do ultimately those powers break off into their own division? Yeah, I'm not sure which way it will go. You got to remember that NCAA football doesn't oversee the NCAA doesn't oversee college football postseason. So they can run the regular season, but all the money, of course, comes from from the postseason, from the from bowl games, but really the college football playoffs. So right now it's those those 10 commissioners that that are in control of the college football playoff. And those power five, of course, want to have the money that they have where it'll go in the future. I, I don't see it. You'll see reports saying that they'll break off and create a brand new division away from the NCAA. As of right now, that's just speculation. Uh, the NCAA has been around for a long time and does a lot for college athletics. Uh, they just don't handle the aspect of college football postseason, and that's where most of the revenue outside of television dollars that conferences get comes from. So right now, I think it is what it is. The only hope is that hopefully one day that college football playoff uh, expands and provides some more opportunities for, for the aton um, for the group of five. Yeah, you mentioned TCU and Utah, and I used to take so much pride in those guys slaying the, the Giants, and uh, loved having them in the conference. And the conference was pretty dang formidable back then. Still is, I mean, but that that was um, there was a lot of really good teams in the uh in football in particular and then you have BYU who's got probably the greatest tradition of any of the schools you know they've had their ups and downs but to me the biggest disappointment you, you can certainly see the reasons for TCU and Utah leaving there's no one's no one's going to turn down that kind of money but BYU pretty much felt scorned that their biggest rival was going to a to go into the Pac-12, and they basically left out of spite and wanted to become independents. I am, I don't know if I'm in the minority. I would love to have them back from the standpoint of I like schools that I don't like. I like going to games where you don't like the other team and you want to, it makes that game more exciting. You want, and, and you know, they've got 60,000 fans that show up for football games. They've got 18,000 fans that show up for basketball games. And you know, I look at that, and, and that's a kind of school you want in the conference. But I also understand the bad blood, and there's probably a lot of people in decision-making roles that are like, "Screw them! I don't want to. I don't want anything to do with them anymore." And I, I just wonder, in your opinion, is there too much bad blood that that they would ever return on either side? Like, is BYU is that ship sailed? 
there's too many guys, too many presidents or athletic directors or people in the Mountain West office just say, nope, that's never going to happen. Or too many people in the BYU athletic office or their president just be like, nope, it's just not a fit anymore. What's your whole opinion on, on the relationship with BYU? Um, I think, you know, we always had a good relationship with Tom Homel and the entire BYU staff. Um, they have great fan bases, as you talked about. It was great rivalries within the Mountain West when I don't care if it was Colorado State or San Diego State or Wyoming or somebody else played BYU. They were great, um, great games. It actually brought more fans to our stadiums, right, when, when we played against them. And, of course, they were always 60,000 strong when you went to Provo. Uh, they, they made their choice. They, they wanted to move on. They made their own TV deal uh, on the football side. Uh, with, with ESPN, went to the West Coast Conference for the rest of their sports. I think our membership has basically looked at it as, if that's where you want to go, we want folks that want to be in our conference uh, and that want to make the Mountain West strong. And, and so I don't think there's a lot, there's not, there's not conversation about BYU. I mean, they, they choose to do what they wanted to do. Um, they're not asking to come back. We're not asking them to come back. <clears throat> and we're just, we're focused on those that want to be in the league because it doesn't help to have a team that doesn't want to be here. So there, there hasn't been really any discussion on, on, on BYU. Um, even a couple of years ago, <coughs> pardon me, you remember the conversations about Gonzaga coming in, yeah. um, in, in, in basketball. And so, like I said, it's, it's, it's really been no conversations about BYU. It's not that there's animosity against them. <coughs> they just chose to move on and do their thing. And, and the Mountain West and its membership has, has, has moved on and, and done their own thing. Yeah, I want to ask you about the Gonzaga thing. I mean, that was, um, I mean, that, that would be a game changer having a, a basketball power like that in your league. Is that something where one, I mean, what can you shed on what happened there? Was it, it seemed pretty dang legitimate, pretty close to, to coming to fruition, but how, how much does the Mount West constantly evaluate membership? I wouldn't say that it looks immersive on an annual basis. I think that it looks at it when, when it needs to, or it needs to be proactive or just, you know, reactive in some situations, we got to be prepared in all situations. Um, I wasn't here at the time when they were looking at Gonzaga, that's when I was living over in Hawaii. But I, from what I heard, it was very serious. It was very, very close, but they decided to stay and, and the West coast conference gave them a very good package to stay, made it very uh, incentivized for them. Uh, to do that. So, you know, they would have been a great addition to the league in, in basketball. I mean, you've talked about the basketball programs earlier. Um, San Diego state's been great. Boise state this year is really strong. Utah's really, Utah state's really consistent. Um, Nevada has really picked up over the last several years under Musselman uh, now under Alford, you know, Colorado state, Nico's got them uh, moving in the right direction. So I think the mountain West brand would have just grown stronger with the Gonzaga. Um, but I also think it's very, very strong without Gonzaga uh, and, and gives us an opportunity to compete at the highest of levels. But uh, it, it, would have been, it would have been interesting to see them in, in, in the league and in, in facing our basketball teams night in and night out. I thought this is pretty funny. Um, you know, you hear – I give the AAC some credit with their Power Six campaign and all that rhetoric. But, um, and, and they've had some – granted, they've had some good performances on the field uh, in football and basketball the last few years. I think when you look at it as a whole, Mountain West is stacked up every bit, is, if not better, than the AAC um, over the years. But when the talk of – or when there was reports that, that 
Boise State and the AAC were having some conversations uh, this past year and maybe to a lesser extent, San Diego State. The Mountain West put out a, I think it was a tweet or I don't remember where I saw it on social media, but it, it showed basically the Mountain West performance against the AAC in bowl games over the last couple of years, which was it was funny. And obviously that was a very pointed uh, strategic message. But when you see a conference member like that, are you guys well aware of that before it hits the, the news or are you like, wow, I, you know, we didn't know that that was going on. How much involvement is the Mountain West have in ongoing conversations with membership? And tell me what that relationship was like. Does it fracture any trust in a member or how does that go? Yeah, no, I don't think it's fractured at all. I mean, every, I mean, conference 101 is every school is always going to look out for themselves and their best interest. Um, for, for their university, for their fan base, for their alumni, that's going to happen. Uh, and, and in that situation that you're talking about, yes, the football coach came out and said some things. Um, the president came out then with a statement saying that they're very committed to the Mountain West. They're always going to do what they need to do to put Boise State in, in the community and the, in the campus in the right light. Uh, and, and schools are talking every single day um, to better their location if, and better their revenue uh, it, it, so it happens across the board. It's not fractured at all uh, with Boise State. They have a um, tremendous staff there. We enjoy going there and, and having championships because everything is always buttoned up and they do it the right way. Um, they have a great fan base uh, in Boise. Um, and when they come down to the Las Vegas for the basketball tournament, uh, now they have a brand new athletic director. Uh, we're excited to welcome him to the Mountain West. Um, he'll be on our first call later this week on our AD call. Um, brand new football coach in, in Avalos. Uh, so we're excited to have him on board. So I, mean, I think everybody just understands that that things are going to happen. Um, I don't think that the commissioner gets caught off guard on, on a lot of these things. He talks to the president. He talks with ADs a lot um, in, in the discussions of what's going on. And then media get a hold of it and want to run with it uh, and, and make us aware of it. And I, of course, will see that and send it and a lot of times commissioners already on top of it and has already had those conversations. So, um, like I said, I don't, th th there's no fracture there. Everything's great with Boise State, uh, but they're, they're happy to be in the league, but just like everybody else, they're, they're always going to look to the better themselves if it makes sense for them at a certain time. And, and just like the TCUs and the Utahs of the world, if you win on the court, win on the field, if, if opportunities open up, then, then make yourself look, the best that you possibly can. And in, in the meantime, do what you can to, to win Mountain West championships and provide that student athlete experience. Do you envision any future conference realignments going on across the country? Is that something you can prepare for? Or what's your thoughts on that? I don't see a whole lot. It, it could happen because anything can happen this day and age. But if you look at a lot of those agreements in, in the SEC, the ACC, the Big 12, they're all tied to rights agreements. So if you leave, you lose your right, right agreement money. So are you going to lose out on $20 million just to go to another school? Um, but they, they even covered your rights. So even if team A moves on to the big 12, you don't, they still get your money in the future as well. So that that's going to be a challenge for, I think a lot of conference realignment. I don't see a lot of it going out there. You remember the old WAC days. Um, the reason the WAC broke up, they went to 16 teams and become, it became way too cumbersome and when you have that big of a league and you're not making that $30 million, uh, the revenue distribution is not very high. So the reason people leave conferences is because of revenue. Yes, for competition, 
but really it's for revenue. And so if you're looking at the other leagues out there outside of the, the, the power five, the revenue separation is not that different. If you look at the TV agreement that the Mountain West has compared to our competitors, you mentioned the AAC. I think it's a great competition between the Mountain West and the AAC. In, in the old days, it was the Mountain West versus the Big East. Uh, we were right next to them in being that number six conference. And I think we're right next to the AAC in being the number six conference uh, across the board. And I think it's a healthy, a healthy competition. But they, they may make a little bit more money if you just look at the bottom dollar. But we're also, we don't have all of our games going to ESPN Plus, and we don't have to produce all of those games where they have to produce all those games, which is costs money. Mm-hmm. And you got to reduce that from there. So, like I said, it's, it's all about revenue. And I don't know if there's a whole lot out there for, for movement, but you always have to be prepared and be ready in case something does come down the pipe. Well, a couple more questions, Stephen. Uh, we are approaching. March Madness, which was recently announced, is all going to take place kind of in a bubble in Indianapolis. Thoughts on that, how that is going to work. And then uh, your thoughts on, on the Mountain West men's basketball standings and who's got a shot to, to get there and perform well. Yeah, I think the whole NCAA tournament will be very interesting. It's, it's, it's unfortunate we won't have fans in the stands there like we have had in the past. We're really bummed to the Mountain West because we were supposed to host the regional up at the Pepsi Center this year. Uh, so we could have had four great teams come here uh, and had a regional because typically we host the first and second rounds. So this was the first time that we get a host a regional. Now we have to wait till 23 before we get a host the first and second rounds again. But I mean, I think it's a smart decision. Everybody's trying to be cautious. If you can put them in a, in a, in a central location and have them really monitored, watched, followed those protocols. Um, I think it's going to be a different NCAA tournament, as Dan Gavitt has talked about. It's not going to be your typical Wednesday, Friday, Thursday, Sunday, uh, Thursday, Saturday format. Uh, so I, I think it'll be very interesting. It'll be probably similar to that NBA bubble that you saw there uh, throughout the playoffs last year. Um, I think it'll, it'll help maybe some of the Mountain West teams there because it's, it's really going to be a neutral court with, with not a lot of fans. So it's going to be a, a different environment and maybe make it a little bit more level compared to having to go to Charlotte and play Duke, where you know all the Duke fans are right down the road and can, can just drive there. So the Mountain West tournament, uh, I'm excited about because I think we have uh, the makings of a great tournament. As we talked about earlier, we have four NCAA qualified teams in Utah State, Boise State, Colorado State, and San Diego State. Uh, Nevada is playing very well right now. Uh, UNLV, after their month-long um, layoff because of some COVID protocols. Uh, Now they're healthy, back to playing again. Um, They're always a dangerous team. Uh, I think Fresno State, Wyoming um, are are looking good. Uh, So I think it's, I think it makes for a fun tournament. I'm really going to be bummed if no fans can be there to watch it. And I really hope that they all just tune in and, and help with the ratings and, and, and and follow their teams socially, but also uh, on television on the Mountain West Network. And that's that some of the things that we're working at now is how do we get fans involved in the tournament if they can't be at the tournament because it's such a special event and and last question was related to those top four to five teams kind of vying that are i guess would be considered on the bubble right now what kind of impact what kind of inclusivity do you think the committee has this year considering there's very little non-conference play i mean do you how are they going to weigh that compared to I mean, we've seen over the recent years, not just recent years, for quite a long time now, many years where it's trending the wrong way, where 
all the power, so-called power conferences are getting more and more at-large bids. How's that going to affect the Mount West when you've got some, some quality teams that should absolutely be uh, contenders to, to, to get an at-large bid, but didn't have the opportunity to play out of conference? Yeah, I mean, you look at someone like San Diego State, they had a great non-conference schedule. They were able to beat a, an Arizona State, a UCLA, a St. Mary's. Uh, but yes, a lot of other teams didn't have that non-conference slate to be able to do it. So I think the, I think the committee is going to have a very challenging task this year because there's not a lot of non-conference comparison to be able to do it. I mean, you, you look at UCLA right now, um, they're playing very well, but they didn't play great in the non-conference. You know, they had two losses there, then all of a sudden – they're all of a sudden the top 10 again because they've done well in conference, but how, how good are those teams in the conference? So that's going to be the challenge for, for the committee. And in our whole goal, we, we have committee calls with our two committee reps um, every week uh, to get them prepared. And so our job is along with the schools is to provide them with the best information and the best comparison notes that we can against teams from other leagues. And the reason why these four teams should be considered and should be in the tournament. So, I mean, I think there's, it's a great opportunity for those four teams. Um, the, net, the net rankings really, really important to make sure that you're, you're up there and all four of those teams are in the top 60 right now. I didn't see today's after Colorado State's loss last night, but um, I, <clears throat> I think the committee will, will give them a fair shake because I think they all have, uh, have good resumes. And, and I think there's an opportunity for, for four teams to get in if they continue to play. I mean, Colorado State has Utah State again. Now they have Boise State coming up as well. So this is going to be a good test for them, uh, but it, it's it all comes down to winning over here the last the last half of the tournament, the last half of the season. In, in years past, we've had in in basketball, uh, like the Missouri Valley Challenge. The uh, I think we had a ten challenge uh, a, a few years. Is there anything like that on the horizon in the works? Like, have we had discussions with the AAC on on, on something like that with with not only basketball with maybe in football as, as a bowl game to kind of have that official champion or, or anything like that? Yeah. Great question, Mike. Uh, not really in football because football schedules are done by, by the institutions. So what I love to see more, more cross competition. Yes. It can be challenging because of the travel back and forth to that side of the country. I guess you could get like a Tulsa and get someone closer to home or a Houston. Uh, but that's really individually based by the, by the school. So the conference doesn't have much say in, in non-conference action for football. Um, on the basketball side, we would have had the A-10 challenge this year. Of course, that got postponed because of COVID. Uh, it is on schedule to have the A-10 challenge next year as of right now. So um, that should be coming back depending on what happens with, with next season. But so right now, there's a four-year deal. There's a two-year and a two-year look-in with the A-10. So that's, that's, where we're headed right now is that, is that agreement with the A-10, which I think is some really good competition uh, for the Mountain West and can help build a resume for, for NCAA tournament purposes. Now, with, with this year obviously postponed or, or skipped over, is that will that fourth year be added on, or, or is this just considered a lost year and we have three more on that deal? I think they're going to go through next year and then look at, do that look in and see if it makes sense um, for both sides still. Um, if there's other opportunities for other challenges, as you just talked about, Mike, um, is, is there another challenge that makes sense or is this the best challenge that we have out there right now for both, for both conferences? David, great stuff, man. 
really enjoyed your insights and catching up with you and uh, good to see you, buddy. Love to do it again sometime down the road, but uh, love the Mount West, pull from the Mount West. Hope, hope there's some big things to come here this, this spring and in, in March Madness. You know, this, uh, I, I take it personally when, when I see the AA <laughs> proclaimed to be the six best conference and, and be this much better than Mount West. So let's, uh, let's, uh, let's have the best possible performance for all of our members here going into the tournament. I agree. Uh, I, they, they have a, they have a unique plan. I'm not sure it goes over very well in the media and other places, but uh, cause there's only five conferences. There's not six and, and, and mountain West conference office, let alone our institutions and our fan bases would like to uh, debate that topic uh, on a, on a nightly basis. I think if we could, so. <laughs> I know you would. Uh, all right, buddy. Well, uh, great, great catching up with you. Um, thanks for spending so much time with us and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Hey, great seeing you both, and I uh, look forward to hopefully talking to you again soon. Yeah, great to meet you. All right, You Jayden. too, Mike. Take care, guys. That's Javen Hedlund from the Mount West Conference. What a great conversation that was. I want to thank him. I want to thank Michael and thank our listeners. And I just want to remind everybody to support Mighty River Brewing Company. They have recently been allowed to increase their capacity indoors. All of the people that do go there are going to get to enjoy Mighty River's dozen fresh beers on tap, including the hugely popular Chili River. Just a strawberry jalapeno ale. They've got a great setup, both indoors and outdoors. For those of you wanting fresh air, the patio gets a ton of sunshine, and they also have plenty of heaters out there for you. They specialize in amazing beers, but they also have a great setup and a rotation of different food trucks visiting regularly, and of course, Pizza Vino's right next door. You can stop in and pick up four packs to go, as well as growlers and crowlers. Owner Dan Miller is a big-time Ram fan and a Ram Nation supporter. does such a fantastic job that you will love it. It's a no-lose situation. You get to enjoy some of the best beers you've ever tasted, all while supporting our great sponsor and friend. As always, show RamNation.com on your phone and get $1 off your beer. That's Mighty River Brewing Company in Windsor. This has been Ram Nation Radio. We will see you next week. Go Rams!